G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. Today is a pretty rad little episode. We are talking with Adele, who's an occupational therapy student from an Australian university, and we kind of follow her journey over the last couple of months, touching base at different intervals throughout her final placement. So it's an exploration of her experience during her final placement before entering the amazing profession of occupational therapy. So we are starting off this episode with a bit of a pre-placement chat that Adele and I had. So here is the conversation that we had just prior to her placement, and but just after she'd found out where she was originally going to be going on her placement. Um, so I've always wanted to work in healthcare. Um, I've always wanted to work with people. I've always had this feeling that life's not worth living if you're working for just the man. So I didn't want an office job working for some big um, multinational. I wanted something that was meaningful, OT buzzword. So <laughs> my, I've, I knew what an OT was when I went into it. Um, my rare. mom, Yeah, so my mom had a hip replacement when I was in year 11, right in the middle of me deciding what I wanted to do. And so an OT came to our house, but now I can reflect and go, she was actually a pretty poor OT because she was like forcing mum into getting home mods when mum's like I've got two adult children that can take care of me and a husband I don't need a home mod and I'm plus I'm 50 years old so this isn't permanent so I was like maybe not OT but I was always drawn to like um you know speech pathology and I wanted even medicine I tantalized with the idea of becoming a doctor um, and then I don't know, the years went by and year 12 finished and I didn't really know what I was doing. So I went into a science degree, hated that, went into an arts degree, finished that, then <clears throat> didn't really know what was going on. And then my friend passed away. Um, he ended his own life and it made me reevaluate things again. And I went, what can I do that's mental health? I didn't want to be a psych because that required too many years of studying. I'm not going to lie. Fair. <laughs> that, yeah, okay. that required me to start all over again and do statistics, and I'm deplorable with maths. So I found OT and was like, yeah, I know what OT is. Okay, cool. I can work in mental health with that. Sweet. So I saw Monash had a um, postgraduate course and so did Latrobe, and then I was like, beautiful. So I applied for both and got into one. And, yeah, fell in love with it pretty much straight away, lined with my belief system, my personality, that we should all have the right to do whatever we want, um, no matter what, and the rest is history. So you're doing a, a post-grad OT course. What was your undergrad? Yes. So my undergrad was a Bachelor of Arts majoring in politics and minoring in criminology. So Damn. very different, very different. About as far away from OT as you could possibly think. Yeah, I That's mean, cool I just, it is. I just didn't know what I was doing, to be honest, and I just chose what I really enjoyed, um, which I think is really important. Um, when you go to university, you need to do what you love. You can't just do something 
because it's going to make you money. You've got to fall in love with the work. Um, so I just did with my heart when I was, you know, said when I was choosing subjects. So and I've always had an interest in politics. So I went for that. But it does come in handy with OT because, mm. sorry, um, it comes in handy with OT because I have to learn about policy around NDIS. And we did a whole subject um, to a project work and it was policy and I was the person who was like teaching my friends what basic legislation and policy is so it does come in handy and if you work in forensics criminology comes in so yeah yeah I think that could be a a quite a valuable combination those two Mm -hmm. with with OT on top of it yeah cool all right so the reason, so we teed this up quite a long time ago because we knew that your placement was coming up. You didn't know where it was going to be or anything like that. And we kind yeah. of teed up that we were going to see if we could do like a follow you through your placement and see how you grow, you evolve through the placement um, yeah. as opposed to some uh, where, you know, it might just, I've seen blog posts and stuff where it's just like a reflection on placement. Like we yeah. want the live action Right yeah. there and then see what's going on. So you, what is it, Sunday now, you found out where your placement was on Friday or Thursday yeah. towards Friday. the end of, end of the week. Yeah. So firstly, where, and this is your final placement too, isn't it, yes, of it your is. course. Yeah. So this is the big one. How many weeks is this placement? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. All right. So where are you going? What, what setting are you going into for this placement? Uh, subacute rehabilitation. So physical rehabilitation, subacute. Yep. Mm-hmm. What's your What was your initial thought when you first got that news that okay, you're going to to this? I'm assuming it's in a hospital. Yeah. Um, what was your initial thought when you first got that news? Oh, I was elated because I haven't had this kind of placement yet, and I requested it so that I was hitting every area of OT because I've mainly had community placement. So I was super excited that they actually took my request um, seriously and I was given the placement I wanted. So, yeah. what, what, are we, what have your other placements been so far? So the first one was like pediatrics crossed with a bit of homelessness because it was in a, um, a homeless organisation, but the population was kids. Mm-hmm. Then the second one was community, so traditional home mods equipment prescription. And the third one was aged care. And then I've had a project placement in in a step down service um, in mental health. Okay. So. And you said at the start, mental health was an interest area, or is that an area you yeah. definitely want to go into after uni, or are you still pretty open, or where are you at with that? I'm still pretty open, but definitely my heart sits with mental health. But okay. the reason I didn't want a my final one to be in mental health was because I had my project placement in it, and I had exposure to service users, so I thought. I need to broaden my horizons, even if I don't want to work in rehab, it's at least a skill set that I'm developing and I get to work in that setting. So, yeah. Yeah, really good idea. Um, all right, so you're going into subacute rehab. Mm-hmm. Do you know what kind of uh, sort of population you'll be working with in that setting? Or what do I you don't, think? Look, what what do you ass- imagine? I'm going to assume it's an older population because okay. the – um, it's mainly orthopedic, neurological. They also do Parkinson's and stroke in okay. that. So one would assume it's an older population, but it doesn't specifically state that. So it could be anything. 
So, yeah. And how? And I'm assuming because you've done. You said you did a placement with older people already. I'm assuming you mm-hmm. uh, that went well, and you're fairly comfortable working with older persons. Or yes. how do you feel about that? Um, I am comfortable working with older people. Um, I've had two placements actually because the community placement was mainly over 65 um, because they were phasing out NDIS clients and only had my age care clients on their caseload. So I've had two. Um, when I first started this course, the idea of working with older populations was daunting for me because of my experiences in life um, with my grandparents. Um, my grandmother had Alzheimer's, so I'm not, I was never a fan. And yeah. then, um, but those placements, particularly the age care placement really forced me out of my comfort zone. And I found myself actually quite comfortable in it. So, and I've, yeah, I was able to engage with those clients. So to be honest, these days I'm not really phased by it. <laughs> it just would be nice to work with the middle band. I've had children and then age care. So I would like to work not with as people. Much exposure in the middle. Yeah, you know, my age group, your age group, you know, it's an even older. Like I haven't really had that probably 18 to 60 bracket yet. Yep. So that's, I would like that, but it would probably be older. But yeah. How comfortable do you feel going into this setting? Just I'm assuming your only exposure to subacute rehab has been probably the research that you've done leading into this placement. Mm-hmm. How comfortable do you feel at the moment going into this setting, knowing that you've never seen or done anything like this before? Um, nervous. Okay. I definitely feel a little out of my depth um, because hospitals, for example, have a very set um, protocol and procedure to how they go about things. So, And their professional environment is different to other settings that I've been in. So I am a little nervous about that. Um, I'm worried that because it's my final placement and I haven't had that, um, you know, exposure to a subacute environment or even an acute environment that they may expect me to have already had that and that I might have already refined certain parts of that skill set and that I might be behind and I don't really want to like disappoint my supervisor or come across as someone who's incompetent. So I've been telling myself that I have to research this even more and really go through and, all that stuff again. And what what specifically uh, do, you, do you feel you need to research to be more comfortable? So I've done like initial assessments when it comes to home like home assessments and that's something I'll have to do. So I'm okay with that. But it's more like when you're trying to do an assessment like a mocker. I've never delivered a mocker before. I've done like the standard you know, mini mental state examination, um, but I've never done something like the mocker and I personally would fail the mocker if I was if it was administered to me because I have a terrible memory and I'm terrible at maths and so (laughs) I can't think on the top of my head sometimes so I that's a bit worried for me so I feel like I really have to go over that and practice that on people before I go back to go into that placement and also things like observing someone making a cup of tea and then having to write the subsequent documentation that comes after that, um, that's also something that I really need to. So is, um, is that specifically, is that something that you know they do in that setting or is that something you're just expecting that they might do in that setting? I'm expecting it, but I also kind of know because my um, castmates have, when I, I went and questioned some of them before I oh, found so, out my so placement. So you know other people that have done 
this placement or a similar placement? Yeah, a similar okay. place. Like not in this actual in the organization. Yep. Yeah, but a subacute rehab. And yep. I went and questioned one girl and she's like, yeah, we do things like watching people make cup of tea and okay. we assess the paddle, cattle, staddles and all that. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm going to have to really brush up on that because I haven't had exposure to that yet. So just things like that, that makes me nervous. I'm also a perfectionist. So <laughs> that's really hard when you're a student. <laughs> it doesn't get much easier when you're a clinician. <laughs> no. That's, it's not gonna be good. that's just an OT trait. <laughs> I've, I've noticed that a lot of OTs carry that one. Mm, yeah, I've noticed it too. So, but you learn, yeah. you learn to manage I think, mm. more than overcome that one. Yeah, it's, it's always there, which is no, it's it's a good thing as well. It's not always a bad thing. Yeah. So, what other things? Actually, so in talking with your friends who have done subacute placements before, what other things did they advise you to expect? Um, well, it's obviously good or bad, good or bad. Well, I mean, they tried to tell me like it's a hospital environment. So you're going to obviously have to wear your uniform, which I knew anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, and that you will have to adhere to their hygiene standards and you have to have your hair tied up. And I mean, I like getting my nails done, so that's going to have to go. Um, things like that, that it's a very clinical setting. Mm -hmm. Um, also told me to take as many notes as you can, um, that you're on your feet most of the day, which to me I'm fine with. I'm fine with the go, go, go. Um, and to take notes as much as you can, like if you're, super, like you know. in um, session or just for your general learning? Um, in session and for general learning. So if you're observing your supervisor, have a notepad on you and write down what they're doing with that um, patient. Um, and also when you are in session and you have the ability to take notes, take notes because it makes documentation a lot easier mm -hmm. and the whole documentation thing it's you need to be quick at it you need to be able to go through it very succinctly in abbreviations which I feel comfortable with because um I actually really like the documentation side of things for some ungod reason that is strange yes yeah I don't know <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm very quick at typing and it was really funny at my community placement they'll like getting me to type everything up when they would hear me tapity tap 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 in the office and like damn can you do this like document for me I'm like great cool so do you know <laughs> do you know if the subacute is using digital records or are they still using paper records I'm not sure to be honest but I have heard some places do 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 document um do do digital documentation yeah like the big um health it's, it's kind of something that's systems do. uh yeah it's kind of something that's only just coming in in the last few years, but there's still definitely some places that mm. uh, will use paper documentation as well. So yeah, yeah. Won't help with your typing if you have to write it. No, no, it's not <laughs> going to help at all, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. So, yeah, there's some of the things I've been told about. Um, so I definitely will have to go over my documentation again because I need to obviously cut it down, learn how to be more succinct, but that comes with practice. And do you know if there's a specific format that they want for their documentation or that you're expecting them to need or you were taught or anything like that? It's always soap note format, but sometimes it's Isbar. Yep. Isbar? Yeah. But I've been taught soap note. Um, it's funny, on my second placement, I was like told to do soap notes and I'd never done one before. And my supervisor actually sat down with me and went through it. And I'm pretty sure she listens to this podcast um, so I'm going to pay her a little compliment because she's probably one of the best supervisors I've had. 
she was very generous with me and I think sometimes saw a bit of herself in me that free I had. Shout her out if you want. Yeah, <laughs> um, I won't do that. But basically she knows who she is and she knows that I had a really terrible first placement experience. And so she really sat down with me and was like, you know what, I'm going to take it upon myself to help you out and teach you. And her doing that really advanced me in soap note format because now I, she gave me all these like templates that, her where she works they use and gave me all these resources and she literally was like here's the g drive make yourself welcome and her doing that to me for me really made it like took my clinical skills from one from like low to quite high for that's for that time in my course very quickly so yeah it's mainly soap note and i've yeah been given a lot of different examples which makes it really good so i can have a look at that courtesy of her so thank you awesome thank you anonymous <laughs> uh what else how uh, actually one thing i probably should have asked at the start is how far away till you start your displacement um one month okay so yeah. one month from today yeah uh, and you start and have you had any contact with your supervisor or anyone like that yet no, I haven't been given details yet. Okay, so, so you've just been given like the location essentially? Yeah, just the location and the placement type, that's it. And do you, does your uni have a thing where you have to contact the supervisor prior to? Yes. Yeah. Yes, very, very formal process. Um, you have to contact them at least two weeks beforehand, introduce yourself. They like calling. Yep. They want you to call, yep. but with certain placement environments like, you know, acute and subacute, it may not be possible because they're busy. Yeah. So we just email and we introduce ourselves um, and we have to ask, is there anything that you would like us to research prior to the placement? Um, so when I had the community one, my supervisor said to me, you need like read up on the Australian standards um, before you start the placement for home modifications. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, to make it so, so when I watched her do a home assessment, cause I was like straight away in that placement, I was exposed. I knew what she was doing, Yep. like looking around for the stud, for example, it's not like she was just randomly knocking just on the wall because the she wall. felt like it. Looking yeah. She, or something. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I knew exactly what she was doing. Yep. So for this environment, I'll ask like, is there any conditions that you want me to research? Like whether it's yeah, stroke, Parkinson's or any, if it's orthopedic, any kind of like, if it's a hip replacement, a knee replacement or any other surgeries, do you need me to research and look into that or the anatomy that surrounds that and call all those kind of things so that I'm prepared. And yep. then I have to ask what I assume it's uniform, but I still should ask, what are the you know requirements around mm-hmm. that? So it's clearly like stipulated. And also I ask about parking and all those other kind of things so that I'm prepared and that I look like I'm interested in the placement because that's really important as well. You want to demonstrate that you're keen, that you're excited to start um, and that you're organised as well because they are things that are assessed on your SPEF. So for me, it's that first email content is just like I'm being assessed straight away because the first engagement is so important. It really sets up how you're going to be perceived by your supervisor. And just for those who aren't aware, the SPEF is the essentially like the marking rubric for a placement that a lot of universities use Mm -hmm. uh, in Australia. I can't even remember what it stands for. 
uh, student placement evaluation form revised, SPEPA. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's quite common. I'm not sure if every university uses it, but every university I've ever been involved with or talked to or anything like that uses it for sure. Yeah. I was put on, they made it clear at the start of our course that pretty much every single university um, uses the SPEF. It was introduced by UQ yeah. like a few years ago and um, every university does it. So there's just a baseline it's on what consistent. they're expecting. Yeah, it, it provides consistency and then you're able to see like if you're improving mm. as well. And I've definitely been able to see that, not just by feeling it on my, like from within, but actually seeing it on paper that it's obvious that I'm going from like a three up to a five and et cetera. And does your university require you to do like to set out your own learning goals or what you want to get out of the placement prior yes. to? So yeah. what do you think? Obviously it's a little bit far out and you don't have all the information, but what sort of things at this stage are you thinking that you might want to throw in those learning goals or what you want to get out of this, this final placement or, um, or improve so- on? We had to do an assignment on learning contracts and it was assessed. It was worth like 10%. Mm-hmm. And it was, we had to go through all our specs and collate um, the strengths, the weaknesses and the areas for improvement in every single domain. And from there, come up with two goals, smart goals um, for our placement. My, and my our, favorite. Yeah. Oh, the smart <laughs> goals. <laughs> um, and so... We had to come up with that and then we were told once you find out your placement, even though it's already been submitted, but after you find out your placement, you can tailor that to the clinical environment. So for me, mine were very straightforward. My first one was more like managing stress, um, so having stress management techniques Mm -hmm. in place um, because I can get overwhelmed very quickly, um, if anything, really in life. And so my previous supervisor... um, She's like, if you, she was a mental health OT, aged care. And so she was doing long arm supervision for the university um, while she was on maternity leave. And she said to me, if you want to be a mental health OT, I can see that you've got it, but you need to have stress management techniques in place, Mm -hmm. like a self-care toolbox, because otherwise it's sink or swim in those environments. And that will be beneficial for you. She's like, you've started doing in this placement, but this is something you really need to put in place. So that was something that's really big for me. And I'm pretty sure the other one was also that communication, like being able to do handovers and communicating with significant others Mm -hmm. because my aged care environment placement didn't really have opportunity for that. And then in community, there was limited because it's you were normally just seeing the one person in their home. Sometimes there was family members there, but it was rare. And it was only one-time engagement. So, so, the so that one's less of a like needs to improve and more of a, I mm. just haven't had a chance to do it kind of thing. Yeah. The first one's like really need to focus on that, especially I have a caseload in this placement mm-hmm. and I need to be able to have coping mechanisms to deal with the stress of having to deal with like having to handle so many cases, even though it's a small caseload, it's still more than one person or two people. It could be six for all I know. So and is that so with the coping mechanism one? Is that something that you're thinking that you uh, will do prior to the placement and take in, or is it something that you think you will have to work out, like what's going to work, etc., once you're there and see what the the workplace is like? 
both to be honest so I can put in some mechanisms that like oh when I get stressed I do this the very basic but then at the same time I also need to go into that environment one meet my supervisor and see if they're supportive because unfortunately not every supervisor is on your side that's just a reality of it um so I've got to see what the supervisor's like and I'm I'm hoping that he or she is going to be a lovely individual I always try and see the good in people first. But, yeah, the, the supervisor, then the the other people in the multidisciplinary team that I would be working with because you don't just work on your own as an OT. You mm-hmm. to work physios and um, exercise physiologists, species, all the rest of it. So seeing what the multidisciplinary team is like and just the overall culture of the, place, the placement environment as well is really important if they are supportive of people who may have anxiety or whatnot um, and that sometimes they do kind of, close in from stress and I sometimes do so it would be a two-pronged approach to it and just on that do you know who's well not who specifically but profession wise who's on the MDT in this setting uh, I'd be definitely nurses doctors physios speech pathologists OTs um and maybe um dietitians as well okay definitely yep awesome yeah all right. Uh, what else? We'll probably cap it about that for this first one. Is mm-hmm. there anything else you think we need to put in that we can revisit later? I think we've covered almost everything. But... Yeah, pretty much all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think we covered pretty much everything. Mm. Yeah. Are you okay. excited? Yes, very excited. I Excited for placement uh, or just excited to be one step closer to finishing? <laughs> one step closer to be finishing. <laughs> I don't – I may may come across that I like university because I'm on to degree number two, but I don't. And I am sick of being a poor uni student and I'm excited to join the profession finally. I think most I students think, get to that stage towards the mm-hmm. end where they're just like, oh, this – it feels like it's been going forever. It's time to finish and get on with the real yeah. world. I think I was at, I was like that at the start. I was just like, oh, it's just counting down, you know, once because we do a subject at a time. So it's like one subject's done, finally, two's done, three done, four done, you know, just kind of like one step closer. Um, yeah, I've been ready for a really long time. So I'm really excited to, one, have this final placement and get to experience what it's like working more autonomously, autonomously than usual because – have your own caseload and two to actually be done and one step closer to being qualified and be working. So is this the very last thing in your course or is there more subjects mm-hmm. after this? So like no. as soon as this uh, placement's finished, that's it. Yeah. Ready for I graduation did. sort of mid year mm-hmm. maybe? Is it yep. around mid year? Yeah, it's mid year. So yep. I finish in I'll finish in May, the yep. end of May. And then I have like a week or two. Um and I have to present my final oral exam on why I am fit to practice as an emerging OT and then I'm done. Exciting. Course completed by end of June. I have ARPA registration whenever that comes through and I'm done. Very exciting. Very exciting. (laughs) Getting close. Very close. So I can't wait. (laughs) Now one spanner that was thrown in the works during uh, this process of recording this episode was obviously the well-talked-about, well-discussed COVID-19 pandemic that happened all around the world. 
this had a big impact on Adele's placement. So we had to have another conversation uh, around what the changes were to her placement. So here is the conversation that we had uh, before she'd started her placement, but uh, around the changes that had to be made because of the pandemic. So, since we recorded the first section of this episode, the world has ended. Lots and lots, lots and lots has happened. Uh, and I know that a lot has happened on your placement front yes. uh, due to COVID and the isolation and all of that stuff that everyone mm-hmm. is currently working their way through. So... What's happened? Well, what what's happened since then with regards to your placement? So, what was the the placement that we spoke about in the first time? What where were you going? I was going to go to um, I'll just say the agency it doesn't matter. Saint John of God in Frankston, who was subacute rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was cancelled. Um, it was cancelled due to the the pandemic. Yep. Yep. And what's happened since then? How actually? How was that? How did you find that initially? I- I knew that was going to happen. Um, Victoria was moving into stage three restrictions. So, you know, and that meant that the stopping of elective surgery and the placement I was going on was, I was going to be in the orthopedic ward. So a lot of knee and hip replacements. And of course, if they're not happening, there's not going to be much for me to do. Plus the added risk of actually having a student um, during a pandemic and the fact that there's a decreased amount of PPE available and it was still of uncertainty. So I was one of the first to be cancelled um, on the 20th of March mm-hmm. and I was literally at the doctor getting $250 worth of immunizations for the placement and I get home because I left my phone at home and there's an email saying, your placement's been cancelled. Like, of course, just my luck. Um and so there was a lot of uncertainty after that. University went into damage control, trying because it's just placements being cancelled every day. In the end of about 45 placements, I would say only 16 remained. That's 45 for your cohort. Yeah, and yep. there was only 16 people due to start placement at the you know, designated time with their original placement. Was there specific areas that those people were going on placement that were like, were they lower risk areas or what was there anything about why those 16 were continuing? I noticed that a particular um, public health organisation was keeping all their students, Monash Health. I noticed that. I don't know why, but I noticed that. All rural placements were cancelled. So there were some students that were supposed to go to Broken Hill and um, Darwin, um, Latrobe Valley. They were cancelled except for one. Only one Latrobe Valley placement went ahead. So, yeah, with the state borders closing, that cancelled a lot of placements. And just, yeah, a lot of subacute placements and community organisations were getting cancelled. And the ones that remained were mainly in the acute wards of hospitals, whether it's acute, you know, surgical general or mental health. It was very mixed what was remaining. It was quite bizarre, actually. Okay, so probably more a, a poli- like a systemic policy thing than a, uh, these areas are safer than others kind of yeah. thing. Um, yeah. My university didn't put down a policy saying that placements were to be cancelled. They were leaving it up to the placement providers. 
They said that we should be on placement. They want us to be on placement. They don't want, they doesn't want to, they don't want any kind of disruption to us finishing our course. Um, so, cause we're due to finish in July, mm. June originally. Um, and so they wanted to keep it to track, but they did give people the option if they didn't feel comfortable being on placement at the moment with COVID yep. that they could postpone. And you obviously hadn't taken that route. You no. were keen to, no. keen to get it done. No, there was no way that that was happening with me. <laughs> Absolutely no way. I have a type A personality. I have to be doing something 24-7. The idea of relaxing is just foreign and being in lockdown with the fact that I pretty much lost my jobs and my placement all in a week was not, I was that's not a, enjoying life. <laughs> that's a big change, yeah. It was a very big tr- occupational transition. That's right, occupational disruption. Mm-hmm. Well in. So, so that placement was cancelled and I'm assuming now that you, well, I know, I'm not assuming anything. I know that you now have another placement. Yeah. How long was it like immediate that you got that news or how long did it take? All right. Bit of a journey behind the new placement. Um, it was a month from cancellation to new start date, literally okay. exactly a month. And to start date or to when you found out about it? To start date. So okay. I got a little tired being at home and I kept emailing the field work, field work coordinator who's actually a, um, I'm not going to say friend, but we get along. Um, and she's like, look, Adele, this ain't looking very good for you. You know, um, we need to place international students first over domestic, obviously because of visa restrictions. I understand that completely. So a bit of a pecking order and it doesn't look good for your placement. And I was a bit upset and then it took me a week and then I went, you know what? I'm finding my own placement. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I can't stay at home anymore. Watercoloring and walking 10 plus kilometers, which sounds fun. Don't get me wrong. It's things I enjoy, but I was getting bored. And so I, just decided to post in a Facebook group and like, my name is Adele. I My final placement was cancelled due to COVID-19. I'm looking for a placement. I, You know, it needs to be eight weeks in length, blah, 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 blah. I was quite professional in my way. Um, and a woman responded and said I was happy. I would be happy to take you. And I sent her an email. She responded within five minutes. She's like, yep, that's fine. Because I outlined what I needed in more detail mm-hmm. to her. Um, she's like, we're still seeing face to face a little bit of telehealth. Um, yep. You can join us. Give me your phone number and your field work coordinator's contact details. And I'll take it from there. Got that was Monday, Easter Monday, actually. And then I got a phone call on the Thursday from my field work coordinator. Um, after like literally waiting by the phone for days, waiting for the supervisor to ring. I'm like, she's going to ring. She's going to ring. She's going to ring. And my mum and boyfriend were like, just Calm down. She's busy. Not impatient at all, are you? The pandemic, for, for Christ's sake. Just, <laughs> it will it will happen. The whole and yeah. world slowed down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's, this is me, regardless of the pandemic. I'm always oh, like, I know. <laughs> I know. And um, <laughs> so I, um, yeah, she rang me on the first day at about 3 o'clock and was like, she wants you to start Monday. I was like, oh, okay. And it was happening and I started last Monday. So how much, uh, so obviously from cancellation, it was a month till start date. How, when was your original start? Like how much pushback is the placement? Two weeks. Two so weeks. actually not that's that not bad. bad. Yeah, that's no. pretty good. There's people who postponed that will have to post, who 
it's about five months. So August, so from March to September. Is that right? Four months. I don't know. About then. Mathematics is not my thing. Um, That's why I'm an OT or soon to be OT. Um, So, yeah, it's there postponed and it's much longer. But, yeah, for me, it's only two weeks. I can pretty much submit my assignments the same dates that I was originally going to if I want Mm -hmm. to. Otherwise, they've granted me two weeks extensions. Um, I could still apply for APRA when I was originally going to. I'll get my grades when I was supposed to. It's, yeah, not much of an inconvenience at all. Everything, everything's still on track for the same graduation date, et yeah. cetera, is, is what you're saying. Yeah, everything's coming up Millhouse. Like, um, <laughs> I'm very, very happy and relieved. There was a awesome. lot of anxiety around that for me. Okay, so your new placement, is it in the same field, in the same area? Where, what do you, what do you get? Well, You've already started. You started last week. We'll put mm-hmm. that out there. What are you doing? What is the placement itself? You're going to be a little shocked, Brock, because... Um, Me, shocked. I doubt it. Mm-hmm. It's a different area to what I ever intended on getting into. I just knew that the chances of actually having a placement in this area would be higher than subacute rehab or mental health, but, which is where my interests lie. Um, it's in paediatrics. And I think that's really good because I haven't really had much experience with children and I get to see how a private clinic runs. So it's in private practice pediatrics. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and it's still the is it eight weeks you said mm-hmm. still going the eight weeks you're in yep. private practice. Um, yep. This placement for those of you who aren't in Australia, uh, I believe I assume it's the same as the university I work at where this sort of final placement, the, the aim is that you'll sort of start looking after a caseload and literally start working as an OT um, under kind of supported conditions from your supervisor, essentially. Yeah. So for our American friends, it's the version, it's our version of level two B field work. So um, I, from week four, and we'll talk about this when we do a halfway kind of thing. um, I will have a caseload. My, my supervisor's already outlined that. And um, I will have to be responsible for the occupational therapy process from start. It never goes to end in paediatrics. You never get to discharge, but close enough. So referral on is still a discharge. Yeah, referral on or whatnot. Discharge from your service. Yeah. Yeah. So. So we won't, uh, even though you've started, we won't go into like what you've been up to, et cetera, yet, because we Mm. are still planning to do the halfway and then uh, an end of placement. Uh, portion of this episode so we'll get stuck into more of the what you're learning and what you're doing etc in a few weeks when we do the halfway Um, but so far you're enjoying it oh I actually really love it I was very surprised yeah Um, I've worked with kids most of my adult life um, whether it's coaching dance or um, my mum's a teacher and she tried very hard to get me to become a teacher and would be like come volunteer in my classroom and you know for some people that that's a golden opportunity and I just had it handed to me and I was like you know what I'll just do it so I've worked with kids yeah for many years and then oh my also my part-time job which is um, coaching debating a little bit nerdy don't care um I love debating I love debating. I grew up doing debating. It's a big occupation for me. Um, But, yeah, so I've always been with kids and I knew I liked working with kids. I just didn't know from an occupational therapy uh, perspective if I would enjoy it because at my course we've only done two scenarios that surround 
that's around pediatrics, one with cerebral palsy and one with autism. And I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, I wasn't fascinated in the same way when I do mental health and I get, you know, one of those diagnoses and I'm like, yes, straight into it. So I was, I knew that, yeah, I'd be interested in it, but I didn't expect to, to like it anywhere near as much as I have. It's been really good. And the clinic um, is quite unique in the sense that they have three uh, based in um, the outer suburbs of Melbourne. um, And they, they treat mainly ASD, which is quite normal. But they have not just, it's not just an OT clinic, it's a um, multidisciplinary clinic. So they've got pediatricians, pediatric ENTs, uh, pediatric um, immunologists, um, yeah, OTs, speeches, dietitians, psychologists, they've got them all. Um, So they can really provide like that whole holistic care for the child um, from referral from the pediatrician, you know, and diagnosis all the way through to, you know, um, the subspecialty so I it's really good in that sense and I've been the pediatricians are lovely I don't get the feeling of that they feel they're better than us because they talk to us and it's like oh thank you I haven't had that experience with doctors before it's normally been the opposite experience um so, and it's got a really good vibe and I really like it there yeah, so and that's important that's mm. important on a, on a placement as well so yeah um not everyone gets that opportunity to go somewhere that they genuinely enjoy and that is fun to go to, etc. Uh, so the fact that you are is is really good and it's going to abode well for the placement. I think you're probably more likely to get more out of it if you're enjoying it, which, you know, when you say it out loud, kind of makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And I've done a block placement before and um, it was only three weeks and I would come home exhausted every day and I would just be like I can't wait for this to be over I can't wait to for this to be over and I am sorry to my supervisor who's probably listening to this because I know she listens to this podcast it is nothing to do with you it's it's just that I don't at the time I don't think that setting um is for me and I was fast I was interested but I wasn't absorbed and I feel this time I am enjoying it so much more that I come home and I've got energy to go do exercise which is not normal for me i'm normally so tired that i go curl up in a ball and hide um watercolors apparently and do watercolor in yes <laughs> um <laughs> so i you know um actually have energy and on the weekend i've been like oh i can't wait to go back and do more and you know i've been doing i've already started an assignment that's to do with that um placement i have to write a scenario um for like sbl um like I'm a tutor. So, and I'm already motivated to do it. It's just a completely different feeling. And I'm actually quite surprised. Like I know I'm a bit type A, so I'm very like, you know, organized, regimented, hmm. always going, going, going. But no, but is, it's good when you, you get something yeah. that sort of you, you can be passionate about as well. It just makes exactly you sort of hit that flow state a bit easier, which is yeah. Cool. And it's, it's just a different vibe for me. It's a whole new experience. And I'm like, wow, okay. I can actually see myself working full time now. And I, you know, actually, I like this. This is cool. So yeah, that's that's how I feel for the moment. <laughs> awesome. So that's that's where we're at at the moment. So we're gonna check in again in a couple of weeks. We're mm-hmm. probably about three weeks ish until yeah. you're halfway. Yeah. Uh, and see what you've been up to on the placement. How you're feeling about it. How it's going. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then we'll touch base again after the end of the the placement and and do a bit of a wrap up and see how it is. Yep. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, we will catch you then. 
Now, having finally got this placement underway, uh, we arranged to check in with Adele about halfway through her placement. Uh, traditionally, in Australia, a lot of the placements have had a halfway evaluation and then a end of placement evaluation from their supervisor. So this was just after that halfway point when Adele had had a chance to sort of take in some of that feedback, reflect on how her placement was going and kind of work out what direction she was going in for the rest of it. So here is our halfway conversation of her final placement. You're halfway through. Congratulations. Thank you. How's it been? So last time we spoke to you was just before you were starting. Uh, We had a slight hiccup at the start where the world went mad and we had to find, well, we didn't. You found yourself another placement. Uh, How's it been going? What have you learnt? What's been going on? How's your placement? It's been going really well. Okay, It's been going really well. Um, I've really enjoyed it. It's in pediatrics and I never expected that I would like pediatrics as much as I have. Um, so the first few weeks I, well, the first few weeks I just, um, observed because there's a, a lot of different conditions and diagnoses that you, um, handle in pediatrics. Um, for us it's primarily autism. Um, but as we all know, autism is on a spectrum. So it presents differently in everybody. So, for me, it was really just getting to know all the um, children that my um, supervisor sees and just getting used to how the placement um, agency works as well. Everyone, it's practice and every practice is different. Um, and then in the third week, I started, um, actually, I started doing it more in the second week, but I started like planning sessions and my supervisor would then implement it and I would sit with her. And do it. And then in the third week, I started actually doing sessions myself, but supervised. I was supervised at that point. And then um, in the fourth week, my supervisor said, okay, here's a whole, there's about 10 kids that are on my caseload that you can now take over for the mm-hmm. rest of your placement. Um, and they've all got a range of, you know, um, goals and, you know, um, we want to use proper terms like occupational performance issues they need addressed so there's a lot of variety in it um and then this week I'm in my fifth week so I'm still at that halfway point but I'm on the downward um, slope now just I actually have yeah because like a really big important part of a final placement and it's really outlined like in the competency standards is that you have to be able to do the entire occupational therapy process independently. And when we say independently, we mean either no one's in the room if it's appropriate, but some settings it's not appropriate. Um, but some settings include pa- pediatrics, it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And you have to do the planning of the session, the implementation and the documentation that comes with it. And I have started doing that this week. And tomorrow... I'm having my first full day completely independent. So no spending time with my supervisor, just I have my four kids and I go for it. So yeah, it's been really good. Yeah. Nerves. How are the nerves with regards to uh, going out on your own? Because that's a big step for a lot of people. This is the first time uh, for a lot of students that they're, I don't know, being an OT in a lot of ways. 
especially once you venture out on your own? Um, so when I, I actually asked like my supervisor said like week by week, what do you want? Me to, what, what's the like expectation? Like, and she, when she said, okay, in week four, you're going to start, um, the, like you're going to have a caseload. I remember I, I had butterflies in my stomach and I went, holy shit. Like I started going, this is real. I actually have to start being an OT <laughs> pretty much. And I remember being really like daunted by the idea. And then because we just built it up slowly, I felt ready for it. So when she said, hey, do you want to do this kid um, on your own? I was like, yeah, sure. Like I felt ready. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's actually been like an empowering process because I feel like when you're a student and you study something like with bachelor's is four years and master's is two years, it feels like such a long, you know, process. And there's days where you're like, am I ever going to make it? Am I ever going to get to this point? And then one day it happens and you're like, wow, I actually have learned a lot at uni and I actually am more capable than I think I am. And it was, I remember it was my, the first session was telehealth that I did on my own with no one in the room. And I remember when it was done and I hung up Zoom, I slammed my computer down. I was like, yes, I did it. I felt so good about myself. Um, Yeah, it was it's been great. It's, it was scary at first, but now I actually really enjoy it and actually get to feel like what it means to be an OT. Was it one of those things where you could kind of, I guess, feel yourself getting more and more confident with all the different interventions and stuff? Or was it kind of you just did it and went sort of almost in hindsight, you did it one day and was like, oh, wait, I actually know how to do all this now. We kind of snuck I'm going to say you. it was both. Okay. Yeah, it was both. It was like, oh, I was watching like the interventions that my OT was uh, supervisor was doing, and I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. You know, um, like for example, like we play with play doh and we do like spare parties, like strengthen your hand, um, hand muscles. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. And then when she actually said, do you want to do it yourself? And I did it. I was like, man, I actually, yeah, I do know a lot more than I think I am actually capable. It's, it's yeah. It's been a really interesting process. So on terms of the skills that you've developed, what what areas do you feel like you're developing? Because some areas are going to develop faster than others. What areas do you feel like you're getting a, a hold on like quicker? Um, probably, okay. So I actually enjoy writing documentation. I don't know where this comes from for some what reason. A and so I said, <laughs> I know, I actually don't mind it. And that's something that I've noticed that I'm quite good at and that I scored quite highly on my midway step. Um, that's an area that's developing quite rapidly. Um, I write, I've been writing NDIS reports um, and like letter of support if they need an iPad or something, or um, because that's very common at the moment in the times that we're living in. Um, or just projects, like, you know, just a progress letter, like quick summary. And that's something that I'm really developing quicker. And I, the last one I did, my supervisor, we went for it together and she's like, oh, this is fine. I can send it off how it is. And I was like, great. Um, other things are like, I'm very, um, I've worked with kids for as long as I can remember. It'd be at least nearly a decade now of working with children, mm-hmm. um, whether it's through, you know, teaching dance, or uh, working with my mum at her school, she's a um, teacher, um, or through disability support work. I've always worked with kids. So I really, I felt like I didn't need to be taught how to talk to kids because there is a particular way that you build rapport with children. Um, You can't, okay, some kids you can speak to them like they're adults. 
but most you can't. You have to use basic language, especially if they've got, you know, an intellectual disability. Um, you have to use, yeah, basic language. Sometimes you need to, like, make your pitch a bit higher. Okay. It's a bit more exciting to listen to and they're engaged. Um, you can't be very, very serious with kids and you have to be fun with them and it's a lot of praise and stuff. And I feel like that's something that I have a good grasp on. Okay. So there, yeah, that's an area I feel like I walked in with that skill set already and I haven't, like, I've been commended for it. I haven't been pulled up and told, like, oh, you need to change the way you're talking to your clients or anything. So, yeah, the communication skills. Um, communication. Yeah, they're probably the main, the main ones. So yeah. what? So that's the stuff that you feel are a, a strength that's developing quickly. What areas? So you've got another. So this week and another three weeks after that. What yeah. for the remainder of that sort of roughly four weeks? Are the skills that or the things that you want to work on and improve coming into this? This being your final placement. Something I really struggle with is, and I've identified in my learning contract, because that's something that we're required to do for our placement, um, is my stress management. So it's not like it's a particularly heavy placement environment to be in, in the sense of like you're not placed in confronting situations like in mental health, as you would know, Brock, Mm -hmm. but more in the sense that like I really struggle to shut off my personal life and just go into work mode and just focus what's in front of me. So last week I had quite a heavy week um, with family issues. And I one day I was just a mess because I knew something was going on and I just couldn't separate between personal life and work life. Okay. And that really comes into, that stress management really comes under professional behaviour when we look at competency standards and the best. And that's something I really need to learn to develop as I go on as a clinician. And I've been told this before. I've had chats with a... Um, with the field work coordinator of my university who's been a mentor to me. She's a mental health OT. And she's really explained, like, this is important for you. It's about building a thick skin. You will get to that point. But it takes time and it's something that you need to consistently work towards. And that was, she's like, this should be a really big goal for your final placement. Mm. And so that was on my learning contract, still is, and and I'm really trying to work hard at because I need to be able to give 100% to my clients, not just now as a student, but now in the future as an OT, because I'm applying for offer next week and it's coming up really quickly the day that I'll be on my own without a supervisor and I need to learn to have, um, you know, strategies in place to be able to cope in case shit's hitting the fan in my personal life or anything else and be able to do the best job that I can do. I think you'll also find it's not just about giving to your clients, but you're going to feel better yourself if you're able to manage that as well. And then even if it's just the fact that then your workload isn't getting on top of you, that's going to make you feel better just on its own, which is important. Yeah. And in pediatrics, pediatrics, sorry, we have large caseloads. You know, it's not like in subacute rehab where you may have 8 to 10, it's 40 plus. Okay. You know, you can have as many as 80 on your caseload, dependent on the hours that you work, you know. So that's something that I, if I go into that field, I need to learn to be able to handle stress in all forms. So it, it sounds like pediatrics might be an option now. Are you liking it that much? Um, yeah, definitely is an option for me. Still mental health. I love mental health. That's the reason I went into OT. Um, but also 
pediatrics and that disability side of OT is definitely something that I enjoy. I do see a lot of overlap with mental health as well. I mean, yeah. you, you do have kids who have got, you know, ASD and they have, um, you know, emotional regulation um, concerns and we use the zones of regulation, which is a form of um, CBT, you know, and I love doing the zones and working through that with children. But I really see there's such an overlap that you wouldn't even think. There's also trauma that comes into it with children and the way that they present. So, yeah, no, it's definitely an area and so still mental health. They're my two main areas of OT that I enjoy. Awesome, awesome. So are there any big uh, case events, anything that you are looking forward to or terrified of for the remainder of the placement or just looking forward to getting getting through it? Just getting through it and passing at the end. That's really important. I passed Obviously, my midway. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I passed my midway, but if you fail your final placement, you got to do the process again. And I don't think I have the energy to do another placement during a pandemic. It's, oh, God. It's definitely been an interesting time, but I'm glad it you're really making has. your way through it. Sounds like it's going very well. And there's not long left, which is super exciting. Yeah, not long left. I can see the end, and I'm really excited. Awesome. Well, good luck with the rest of it. We'll bring you back on and find out how it all goes uh, after the end and hopefully after you've had a little party and a celebration and then we'll, we'll have a chat. <laughs> Sounds good. I can't wait. And finally, we've come to the end of the placement scenario. Uh, Adele has now completed her placement. We caught up after her placement, about a week after she'd finished, uh, just to let things settle down. Everyone was very, very busy. But I wanted to sort of tap into any sort of final reflections that she'd had, how the rest of her placement experience had gone, uh, anything that had come out of the placement, uh, how her uh, ideas and perceptions of the profession and where she wanted to go with the profession had changed from even right back in the first section that we recorded prior to her, her placement starting. So it was more of a catch-up and then obviously we wanted to try and get her perspective on any hints and tips that she had that might assist uh, future students going into their final placements. So please enjoy the remainder of this episode. It was an absolute pleasure chat, catching up with Adele throughout her final placement. I am completely honoured that she let me tag along, uh, virtually per se, to her final placement. I know it's a big step in every occupational therapist's career. Uh, finally feeling like you are part of the profession and doing what you've been training to do for however many years your, your course is. So I know it's a big deal and I can't thank her enough for allowing us entry into uh, this moment in her career. So thank you very much, Adele. Please enjoy the remainder of the chat and I hope you found it as useful as I did learning from her experience. You finished. You made yeah. it. Yeah. How does it feel? Um, it's weird. It's very surreal. Okay. It's like the end of, I don't know, Brock, have you ever seen Finding Nemo? Have I seen Finding Nemo? Oh, God, thank God. Okay. Who hasn't? You know, there's the end scene. That's true. You know, there's the end scene and they're in the, the bag and they jump into the yeah. harbour bridge. Like, what now? 
harbor yep. and they're like what now literally it's like that it's like finishing year 12 it's like what what now it's a very bizarre feeling but a good feeling i think because you're sort of you're at this end and for the last four years every sort of next step has been laid out you just have to progress through it and now Mm. now you finally are 100 percent in control of what happens next no one else is going to tell you what to do that's exactly it. Well, for me, it was only two years, but well, yeah, those two years, years try shoving four years into two years. <laughs> like they make it sound like it's oh so good, like you'll get done really quickly. And yes, it's intense, but until you're in the thick of it, it is. It's, yeah, you don't think about anything other than occupational therapy for two years straight. Nothing Literally. wrong with that. I've been doing it for. <laughs> A while now. Yeah, there's there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. But what I'm trying to say is at least when you're in the undergraduate program, like here in Australia, you get like all of like December, January, February off. When you when you do the master's program, you get like three weeks off in the middle of the year, five weeks off at the end of the year, that's it. If that for me I only got five weeks off last year. I had to do my placement in the middle of my holidays because they couldn't find me one. And now you're going into a workforce where you're probably only going to get four a year. Yeah. We're gradually <laughs> grading you down to get used to working full time. <laughs> that is so true. Oh, well. It doesn't matter. So last we spoke, you just finished your halfway. Everything was going good. So what, what happened placement-wise? What did you learn? How was the second half of your placement? Um, The second half of the placement... I felt like I was just an OT who still has training wheels on uh, because legally speaking, she's not allowed to call herself an OT. So I was just doing, I was, I had a caseload of 10 kids um, and I was conducting sessions completely independent. And then there were other sessions where my supervisor would just, it was still her client because they wouldn't, they couldn't handle the transition to a new um, clinician for four weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was just conducting the session, but she was still there. So just as like backup. So for me, it just, I felt like I was finally getting to um, see what it's like to be a proper OT without someone breathing down your neck and questioning every step that you take. And it, it just, it flew fast. It was very, I, it was a blur, to be honest, <clears throat> that last four weeks. So what sort of assessments and that sort of stuff, what sort of stuff did you get to do independently? What did you learn? Um, Put you on the spot. So the thing about paediatrics that people don't really understand or may not know is that you don't actually do a lot of assessments unless you're at the very, very, very beginning of their OT journey. That's when most of the assessments are done. So... It's not like a hospital where it's like, here's an initial or here's a mocker, go do it. It's the opportunity to do an assessment. You actually have to like craft the opportunity. You have to just really go find it. So I did a Beery VMI, which measures visual motor integration. It's actually a really good like handwriting assessment for kids. It sees if they can, it checks if they're able to copy something and then draw it. And then it checks how they're actually able to manipulate their hands to draw those things. 
Um, so that was something that I did. Um, I got to do not an initial assessment, but I got to go through goals with a client mum who's at the start of their service agreement. So when you're on, when you get NDIS funding, you have to put in a service agreement and with the service agreement, you then have to outline goals for therapy and you have to do this yearly. And I got to do that with her, which was quite um, fun. Okay. Is that just for the client or is that like for the school or? It was just for the client for the um, therapy within the clinic. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Otherwise, it was mainly just intervention, just a lot of intervention on my own. So one thing I remember uh, when we talked before you started, you were slightly uncertain about pediatrics. Where's your head? <laughs> where's your head at now? <laughs> <laughs> I really loved it. I didn't think I would. I've worked with kids for as long as I can remember, um, just by the fact that my mum's a primary school teacher. Actually, she's secondary school trained. She'd have a coronary if I heard her referring to her as a primary school teacher. But <laughs> she works in primary school. Um, and she she always gave me the opportunity to work with kids and then I've coached dance. So I've always you know been around kids. And I never really thought that the OT side of it would be alluring to me. When we did it at uni, I was a bit bored by it. Um, I was like, oh, I don't really, I really can't, like, I just don't, this is not fascinating. I was always sucked in by the mental health content or the stroke content. I was never hooked in by peds. And then um, the opportunity to do my placement unit came and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. And I just really enjoyed it. It's, yes, there's a lot of playing with kids all day long, playing games, <laughs> doing art and craft. It's very fun. You just feel like you're in primary school. But there's also that other side to it. I feel like there's a significant overlap between paediatrics and mental health that people won't discuss. Like the amount of times that I administered the zones of regulation, which is a child form of CBT, I can recite the zones in my sleep now. <laughs> I, I, I go to sleep going, I'm in the blue zone. You know, I, it, it, it just, yeah, I just thought when I saw that overlap and then I realised that I was actually good at it. I didn't realise I was because um, my supervisor, the first time she watched me, was like, I didn't realise you could, like, actually talk to kids. Do you know how hard it is to, like, people don't know how. I didn't have to tell you how to do it. You just did it. Like, you did a really good job. I was like, oh, thank you. I don't even know what I did. I just was myself. And so when I clicked that I was good at it, I was it was like a hook, line and sinker. I was like, I really like this. I think this is the path for me. Yes, my heart's still in mental health as well. It's in both. You're allowed but to have I really, multiple yeah, interest I areas. really, pardon? You're allowed to have multiple interest areas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed P. Like, I really did. Like, I can see myself working as a pediatric OT. And on that, I hear you actually did get some good news from your placement. Yes. Yes, I um, was successfully hired at the conclusion of my placement. Bravo, bravo. Thank you, thank you. Um, it was a very ambitious goal that I set at the beginning of my course um, because, like, my like, – I come from family teachers and my brother's a teacher as well, and my mum said to him, like, the best way to get a job is out of your final placement. And I just remember her talking to him about that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that's, like, that's how you, you try – that's how you get jobs, like, you – you know, I never thought anything twice about it. So when the time came for me to do OT, I was like, well, I just want to get a job out of my final placement. For me, that was a measure of success for some reason. And 
I just set this really ambitious goal and I'm still not quite how, sure how I did it, but I managed to <laughs> achieve it. So with um, that, did you, yeah, did you no, ask was, for it or was it something that they just offered at the end of it? I knew they were hiring. Um, pediatrics is a booming uh, industry due to the NDIS, particularly private practice pediatrics. Yep, so the funding, um, the funding the body here in Australia, yep. Yes, the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Yep. And it, at its premise for our American friends or our international friends, it um, allows people to, with a disability um, to receive funding, um, significant amount of funding to be able to get the services they need, whether it's OT, speech pathology, or phys- physiotherapy, mm. um, or even a range of services really um, from you know, whoever they want, all the way up to the age of 65. So, um, but yeah, it, because of the NDISA, we just have like a 300 client wait list. It's, it's ridiculous. And I knew that they were hiring. And so I just kind of asked my, the boss one day <laughs> if she was hiring and she said, yes. And I said, well, so there's an opportunity for me to, apply and she's like absolutely yes i've had really good feedback from parents i was like okay i was not expecting that sure i just sent her my resume because she wanted to do it properly and i interviewed for the job and then i was successful in gaining it i thought it was a shocker of an interview but we'll just leave that one to the side (laughs) yeah i get the feeling though that you're very critical of yourself so i'm not surprised that you think that very yeah very, very, very critical. And I think that's um, a, that's an important thing too, with with regards to uh, like I, I I'm hesitant to say that everyone should go into their final placement with the aim of getting a job, but you have to think about it from the employer's point of view. Is if they are looking for someone and they've just had you there for ten weeks, it's almost like a trial. So they know what you're capable of. They know how fast you can learn and how you take on feedback and how you fit into the team. That's a better scenario for them than just interviewing someone and hoping that they fit and that they learn well and all of that sort of stuff. So if you are in a uh, a placement that you actually really could see yourself working in and mm-hmm. you know the stars aligned and there is positions available, then that's your best case scenario for you know, trying to impress and you know, possibly getting a job out of that. I got offered a job uh, out of my final placement as well. I was unable to take it, unfortunately, because I was moving away. Um, but that's that's what they were saying to me. It's like, you know, we've had you here for three months and we can see what you can do. We like your attitude. Yeah. You fit well with the team. Like that's the things that a lot of employers really look for in someone that they're going to hire quite often in the traditional process it's hard to actually gauge that so yeah, exactly you get a lot of people that are very academic um they can recite every model every theory they know exactly what evidence-based practice is they can write a killer you know research piece um they just thrive in that area and then you can place them in a practical environment and it's sink or swim and sometimes they they think. For me, it's the opposite. I do really well in practical environments because it actually makes sense in my mind. 
And sometimes, you know, you can write on pen and paper, oh, I was top of my class, I got the year one or year two or year three or year four prize. I, you know, I know how to implement client-centered practice when I'm administering intervention with my clients and I'm all about meaningful occupations. You can say that all you like, but at the end of the day, the employer actually wants to see that impact. And that's the important part. And, you know, if you really want to get a job out of your final placement and you don't even know if they're hiring, it's not going to hurt to ask Mm. to see the direction that they're going in because they could have thought about it before you even did. And that's something that, like, my mum's always taught me is that if you really want something in life, you have to run for it. You have to hunt it down and chase it. It's not going to just come to you. It's not just going to be there. And that's the same with like studying and getting a job or anything in life really. But you have to, if you want it, you need to go for it. And I didn't, even if they said to me, no, no, we're not hiring, but, you know, maybe in the future I would be like, oh, cool, thank you. That's fine. You know. Hmm. And it's all it's all but networking. That's the other thing is. It is. And even when it I doesn't came, matter. <laughs> yeah, even when I came, so I moved away from Townsville. Within my final placement in Townsville, moved away from Townsville and then came back like four or five years later. Um, the networking that I made on my placement was still really valuable, was amazingly yeah. valuable when I came back. Because I came back, I went into a single clinician position on an acute unit. So I was the only OT there, but the fact that I still knew and still had good rep with quite mm-hmm. a few of the other OTs around town, man, I wasn't starting from scratch. Um, even, say, when I went into this academic position, I've networked and I know a lot of academics all around Australia already from before, yeah. uh, and yeah. I was able to, you know, oh, I need assistance, what does this mean, what do I do here, blah, blah, blah. Like uh, There was people that I could call on just due to networking it's I, and, and that networking starts on placement yeah. if not before it well probably really not before. any any contact yeah, you have with anyone placement. is networking so if yeah. you have guest lecturers come in go and say good day if you have you know any contact with people in your field it doesn't even necessarily have to be ots but if you have yeah, oh, you got an interest in mental health and you had a guest lecturer from, you know, psych or something like that. Have a chat with them. See what else you can learn yeah, outside of the content that they just delivered. They're usually not afraid to talk. The networking and getting your name out there, obviously in a good way, you don't want a bad rep, but <laughs> getting your name out there in a way that you're happy with uh, is super important and probably... I want. I wouldn't say the most valuable, but probably I would say the second most valuable part of placement, aside from actually the the learning that you do in becoming yeah. a clinician, being the first. Agreed. And even if you dislike the setting that your placement's in, yeah. just put on a front and be like, "Yes, this is my passion. Community health is my jam," or I don't know whatever area it is that you're in and you just don't like me. Unfortunately community health that's not my jam um I'm sorry to my supervisor if she hears this because I know she listens but you know I you just you have to just pretend that you really really love it and you're passionate because OT is OT at the end of the day you just if you love OT you're gonna there's a chance that you're gonna have that passion in any setting that you've been but you just might find a setting that you don't really enjoy 
because the power of networking, you just, you give it all that you've got, even if it's just three weeks for your life, it's only three weeks for your life. And you don't know where that networking is going to take you. Like Melbourne, for example, where I live, it's a population of 6 million people. Okay, it sounds like a lot, but it's a very small place. OT is a small very, world. very small place. OT is a small world. Everybody knows everybody. And so when I had to reject an interview because I had already gained a job, I said in my um, email, I would like you to keep my application open if the, if I feel like a career change in the future. I didn't just say, oh, sorry, like I can't come in because I'm sick. <laughs> like I actually told them the truth. I said, look, I was successful in getting a job out of my final placement and I would love you to keep my file open in the future, um, whether if I'm seeking a career change. And they appreciated that and they said, thank you. We hope that this job is everything you got, you want it to be. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. Very kind of you. I was not expecting a response. But you do that because you don't want to, you know, tarnish your name in the process because you don't know where life's going to take you. I could end up hating this job. I, I don't see myself hating this job, but I don't know what could happen. Or I could end up moving and, you know, this organisation that I have thought an interview with is in the whole east coast of Australia. And so, you know, I could end up where you are, Brock, and you know, need a job and they just have, so happen to have a position open. Like you don't, you don't know. So you always use every opportunity that you come across in placements, in job interviews, in everything. Like it's the last time this person's going to see you and that impression is what matters, you know. If uh, you, like I said before, if you don't like the area, don't make it known that you hate the area because that really pisses people off. And it just makes your name, it tarnishes your name and it just, it also can affect the, the brand of the university because they may not want students next time. They may go like, I don't like this university or the students that came from here. No, thank you. Mm. You don't know what's going to happen out of it. I think there's also something that a lot of people don't think about is sort of the indirect impact of networking. Um, mm -hmm. Like even, so one of my placements, uh, I, for me, it just didn't challenge me as much. It was one of my first ones. It was... Mm -hmm. um, it was home health, but that particular placement was very much uh, a lot of just equipment prescription. And yeah, a few weeks yeah, in, I was like, there's, "There's, I'm not being challenged." Um, yeah. But the like, you know, I did what I needed to do. I did a really good job. I got good marks. Uh, yeah. I, I the benefit of that placement and the networking of that placement didn't come necessarily uh, from continuing to know my supervisor and that sort of stuff. But I met a lot of people afterwards that went to uni with her or knew her yeah. through other avenues and to me mm. that was my when you're trying to build rapport and that kind of thing as we know you that you were looking for that common link and that was an instant common link and helped set up networking opportunities with other people because of my experience in that placement so even though that placement wasn't for me the benefits or the opportunities that opened up from that uh, were well, probably much greater than than what I was getting out of the networking of the placement. So that indirect effect, which you're never going to know, you know, until you see it, until it happens, um, yeah. can be really valuable as well. Yeah, I agree. And also the power of completing a placement in an area that you're not particularly passionate about. You don't realise that the skills that may come from it. Hmm. So 
we we do aged care placement. That's a booming area of OT. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost like a rite of passage in our course. Like most people will complete a place, an aged care placement and it's always just the same like um, organisation. And, but just their different like facilities that they have around Melbourne. And I was, my third placement was in aged care. And I was told by people in my cohort, like, oh, there's nothing to do. It's not going to be fun. Like, it's boring. It's old people. And I'm just like, okay, sure. Like, I'll see what happens. I really hate nursing homes. I hate any kind of aged care facility because my grandmother had Alzheimer's. And it was a really traumatic experience for me growing up. So before the placement had even started, I was dreading it. And it turned out to be probably one of the, best placements I've had because I decided to just take it by the let's say balls but I'll just say take it by the balls and just go for it and I just went you know what I'm just going to this is a it's my third placement I'm supposed to be you know completing my stages as a CPPF not completely independently but I should be able to administer some assessments I should be able to administer some intervention it's a learning experience I'm not going to work in aged care most likely that's okay. I'm just going to go for it. I ended up getting five in pretty much every domain of my spec. I got top, commended which is by the, top the mark. staff. <laughs> it's out of five. It's five out of five. Just I for got, context, it's not five out of 100. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I ended up five getting out of five, five out of 100 for everything. I was stoked. <laughs> I got five percent. No, I ended up getting five out of five in most of the domains of my spec. I got commended by the staff at the organization for being one of the first students that I had from my cohort to actually engage with the residents and to actually take the time to get to know them and take advantage of the placement. And it's like, yes, I don't, I'm probably not going to work in aged care. That's okay. But I learned a lot of skills in that placement that are transferable to other areas of OT. Like it's transferable to community health if I wanted to work there. It's transferable to subacute rehab because there's a lot of, they do a lot of rehab style stuff in um, aged care dependent on the OT and the and who they're employed by. Um, and there's also, you know, that mental health side of it because I worked with a client who had bipolar um, and that was my first case in mental health. You know, you just, you never know the power of the placement that you're placed in. And, you know, a lot of people demanded placements in my cohort from like day dot, from the first placement, like I want peace, I want peace, I want peace. That was the main one. Or I want a hospital. I have to be in an acute ward. And I was like, oh, can you be like, there's no, like by the end I was like, oh yeah, I might request like a subacute placement. And I ended up requesting a junior box because I was like, well, maybe that's where I can round off my learning. But I wasn't demanding because I wanted to just work purely in that area of OT and that was it. I didn't want a bar of any other area. It was more like, well, I need to, you know, kind of broaden my horizons, make things more employable, I'll round off my education and whatnot. But some people really demanded and they, you know, would get placed in an environment that they didn't want to be placed in and they really wouldn't take advantage of it. And it's mm. really disappointing because, like I said before, you don't know where the learning opportunities are going to be. You know, I could have easily asked the university to place me elsewhere. I could have said, how dare you put me in an aged care environment? I've said on in place, which is the system we use for placements that, you know, about my experience. Like, I'm really upset about this. Rah, rah, rah. I could have absolutely lost it. Instead, I went, no, I'm going to do it. It's three weeks of my life. I can do it. I can get through it. It was the best thing I did. That's awesome. 
So I think your your placement is like some advice that I often give to students is to <laughs> keep that open mind going into your placement, even if it's something beforehand you're not really sure if it was you'll like because you never know when that bug's going to bite and you never know what you're going to get out of it. And mm-hmm. what you've just explained to us about your experience seems to fit very well with that. So what would what do you yeah. think would be one or the most important piece of advice you can give to a student about to go into their final placement that's different from mine. You can't uh, steal mine. No, 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 no. <laughs> Actually, I, I had a suspicion, Brock, that you would ask me. <gasps> How did and you I know? Just kinda had, I just had this inkling, and so I actually <laughs> fought hard about it. Okay. And good. I realised that I had a lot of, like, cliche feedback, uh, you know, yeah, advice, feedback yeah. and whatnot, you know just seize the moment and then I realized that I reflected on my own placement experience and how I ended up finishing my placement quite successfully and I tried to pinpoint what it was that I did that you know got me where I where I've landed and then I realized at the end of the day that I just was myself and I think that's my biggest piece of advice to final placement students is to be yourself okay don't be too relaxed but what I say when I say be yourself is that you bring skills to the table, you bring life experience, you bring your unique personality that no one else can bring. I've had significant life experience, for example, like I just briefly mentioned that with my grandmother, that, you know, someone else may not be able to experience. So therefore, I'm able to empathize with people who are going through the same situation if I was to be in a home health situation where the client has, has dementia. I know how the family feels, right? Or the fact that I have a condition called dyslexia. And so I understand what it's like to have that condition. And that's a very popular one that we see, well, not popular, the common that we see in a pediatric environment. And it's highly misunderstood. So I realized that you just need to be yourself and bring what you bring to the table. And if you don't put up a facade and you just try and tick all the boxes in the spare for whatever your university uses to critique you. It's not going to probably work out the way that you wanted it to work out. You may not actually succeed in the way that you plan to. You might come across as rigid. You may come across as um, unemotional. When really, if you're yourself and you don't think about you know, how you're responding to situations. Yes, you need to think about being professional and whatnot, but I mean, like, you're not giving them this regurgitated answer that's come from the textbook. You're actually going, look, I'm really sorry that you're going through this, or I completely understand, you know, from my experience, it's blah, 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 or, you know, from what I what I can tell you from a professional opinion, it's da, 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 you know. That comes across as a better clinician than someone who's just like, I just want to pass. I just wanted to do this and I'm just going to hit all the domains. I'm going to be professional. I'm going to demonstrate self-management. I'm going to have excellent communication. That's that. Instead of actually being like, being a person. this is what I, being a person. Hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you just need to be yourself. And that's what I did. And that's, I feel like why I did well, but because I walked in, yes, I was a little on guard at first. You're always on guard when you start placement. You don't know what you're walking into. You don't know the, the nuances of the environment and whatnot. So once I got to know them and I knew the flow that they worked in, I just started to let a little bit of my personality come out. And 
you know, and then I told my supervisor that I had dyslexia and she's like, well, I actually have a client with dyslexia. Would you like to work with them? And I said, yes. And then I worked with them, you know, and then I told her that I did dancing and I've done dancing my whole life. And she's like, well, I have a client who has a lot of gross motor difficulties and she loves ballet. Do you want to put her on your caseload? And I said, absolutely. And then I did ballet, like we did bar exercises together, which is like the absolute epitome of occupation-based intervention, which you love, Brock. I do. You know, we pulled a chair out and we pulled a chair out and we did plies and we, you know, we did lots of devil plies. I'm pulling out ballet terminology. I was going to say, no idea, but it sounds fancy. (laughs) But we all in the aim of trying to strengthen parts of her body where she has difficulty controlling because she's got very low tone. And instead I could have just been like, okay, we're just going to do some leg raises. Instead I actually tried to make it engaging for her. That just comes from my personality and my life experience and the fact that I've danced for as long as I could walk. Mm. And it's a part of my being. I am not me. If you take dancing away, I'm not me, right? And so that was where I just brought in my personality. I brought in who I was. And that's the important part because you don't realise the qualities that you have, how beneficial it can be to that environment. And that's really my biggest piece of advice. I love it. Be yourself. Absolutely yeah. love it. Could not have thought of a uh, – your advice is probably better than my advice. I like that. <laughs> well, congratulations on finishing your placement. Congratulations on the job. Congratulations on finishing your degree. Almost. Almost or finished? Finished or almost? Um, on the 7th of July. 7th finished. of July. It is currently <laughs> so about a week and a bit away. Yeah. yeah. Not long. So by the time this comes out, you will be finished your degree – I'm sure your registration paperwork probably already filled out and on its way and you'll officially be an OT. Yes, I've applied for to ARCRA, which um, is our governing agency. Um, that was quite a feeling and a half because you, you get told about ARCRA, you learn about everything to do with it, and then the day comes and you're like, oh, wow, I'm actually responsible for it now. You become a responsible adult. Surreal. Yes. <laughs> Instantly, yes, like that. Like, <laughs> just a glow up in five minutes. <laughs> well, congratulations on everything. Thank you for letting me and, well, everyone tag along on your final placement journey. It's been a, a rocky one with everything that's been going on in the world, yeah. but you made it. So congratulations. Thank you. And uh, thanks for, for coming on Occupied. It's been an absolute pleasure.